What's good, Podcastville? Thank you for 15 incredible seasons. Big shout out to Sound Reaper Graphics and Blue Canary Auto for five years of consistent support of the Bystander Podcast. I am your host, Tiny Tim, coming to you from beautiful Bainbridge Island, Washington, at some generic time in your day. I'm glad you're here. Please be a friend and tell a friend you heard it on The Bystander and follow us on social media. Now let's get the party started with some intro music from the incredible Leroy Bell. What's good, Podcastville? Today on the Bystander Podcast here on beautiful Bainbridge Island, we are welcoming Elizabeth Dahl, the Director of Braver Politics at Braver Angels. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I have uh, a long-running co-host, Joel Underwood, who was a debate coach and a strong Democrat, and he was on two episodes ago, so I need to get the the polarization or the opposite opinions spread out, out so <laughs> I'm not the biased one here whatsoever. So tell me a little bit about um, Braver Politics and what you do there. So Braver Politics is a sub-program within an organization called Braver Angels, and Braver Angels organizes workshops to help people that disagree about politics have healthier conversations with each other about politics. We started in late 2016 after the election between Trump and Hillary Clinton, as several of our co-founders were looking around at their neighborhoods and their communities that they participated in and loved as people stopped talking to each other, stopped understanding each other, relationships broke up, uh, families stopped communicating and decided that they might be able to do something about that. Uh, Two out of three of them are marriage and family counselors. And they had this thought that potentially what the country needs is marriage counseling essentially, to teach us the skills of understanding each other and communicating in healthier ways and understanding what we're actually meaning when we say things. Often people talk past each other. They use the same words to mean different things. Um, They build stereotypes of each other when they stop talking to each other and don't understand each other properly. And then relationships fall apart. Braver Angels tries to improve that situation and bring people together to rebuild community, rebuild people's trust in each other as individuals and also as uh, community members so we can care for each other again as people. Why do you think it's so hard for people to talk politics civilly? It's tough when you hear your core beliefs challenged. It can be 
an emotional experience to hear people disagree with you really strongly on things that you think are extraordinarily important, uh, that you believe are matters of human rights, that you believe are civil rights, that you believe are the core to what you perceive to be valuable about the human experience or valuable about um, the country. And we often think when other people disagree with us about policy, that that means something about their underlying beliefs in humanity or about philosophy that is usually not true. And that means that we experience what they're saying in a very different way than they intend to convey it. Why do you think it's not true, though? Because I think some people argue with their core values and, and say that I strongly believe in this. And, you know, like there's a lot of hot topics and I'm, I'm not here to challenge you in any way on any of these topics, but let's say abortion. I mean, there is very strong, there's no like indifference in that type of argument, but we seem to lack empathy for people that have ideas different than our own. Um, why is it so hard though? I mean, I, I can talk to you and still get along with you and value you as a community member and we can have completely different opinions. So what is that from? Why, why is there so much uh, disconnect? People want people to think like they do and to feel like they do. They want their own echo chamber. Yeah. And not even, they don't think of it as an echo chamber. They think of it as surrounding themselves with like-minded people. We all do this. Mm -hmm. uh, we geographically self-sort, we politically self-sort, we religiously self-sort. This island is a prime example of that. We live around and experience life with people who are like us, socioeconomically, uh, majority on Bainbridge, uh, demographically, ethnically, uh, religiously, there's a great deal of homogeneity. And people tend to gravitate toward that. Regardless of, kind of where you live or what you think, you gravitate toward people who are like you. And it's challenging to hear people who are different than you. Do you think that's why people move to certain communities? Like, okay, there's all these rich, affluent people in the Hamptons, and they all have the same ideas, same people in Bainbridge Island. They're all blue, liberal-type people. Do you think that's an attraction to move to a certain destination? For some people, absolutely. It doesn't represent everyone that moves to an area, obviously. There are a variety of reasons that someone might move someplace, even if one or more of the typical things, typical associations for that region don't fit their perspective or don't fit their experience, uh, they may still appreciate everything else. And so they move there anyway. But yes, often people are moving to an area because it fits the type of experience that they want to have. Right. Um, I lived in Kentucky for four years and I found it very difficult coming from Seattle to go to Kentucky where there was definitely a religious bias. You only did business with same religion or same church going. And a lot of the churches were mega churches and everybody had their sense of community based on a church. I think from this one 
soccer field I used to go to about five miles away from my house, there's 13 mega churches. And they were all segregated against each other. It was like you're either on the right side of the street or the left side of the street. And they didn't co-mingle, but they're all in the same area. And I understand geopolitics and certain biases, but I also feel like if Bainbridge is a liberal place, I think that we're open to independent socialist Republican ideas as well as Democratic ideas. Do you find it differently? As a conservative who lives on Bainbridge Island, I will tell you that Bainbridge Island is generally not open to hearing anything right of center. Mm. It is challenging to express your views as someone who is a conservative, and it is uh, <laughs> is very common for Republicans to keep their heads down and not reveal their political views to anyone because they are terrified of losing their businesses, because they're terrified of losing their friendships. They love the community here. There's a reason that they live here. But they are terrified that if they reveal their politics in any way, shape, or form, that their friends will leave them. Mm. Interesting. I haven't really found that, but maybe I'm in my own echo chamber, right? Um, I feel like I'm, I'm very independent, and I would vote either way based on who's the best candidate. But that brings me to a point where this last election, I learned about um, – being a centrist you know we have more things in commonality in the middle than we do to extreme left and extreme right but we get fed all this mass media like extreme left extreme right and it's like nah it's just a little left a little right a center and why is it why do you think it's so difficult to not come to the commonality of the centrist idea that we have you know 90 percent of the things you know, we want to do good by ourselves and with our community and our family members. Um, why do you think we're struggling to get to a commonality area? People struggle to think with and speak with nuance about politics and often attach value beliefs to policy beliefs. And that means that when you say something when you say, for example, that you are pro-life, they attach a million other values to you. Mm -hmm. They attach that they believe you're a Trump voter. They attach that they believe you are maybe racist. They attach that you hate women, that you're misogynist, that you're sexist, that you don't understand sexual assault victims, that you have never grappled with foster care, that you don't want to adopt kids, that just all of these ideas – that are usually not accurate, that don't actually represent the reality of what people who hold those views think and the reason that they are either pro-life and people who are pro-life do the same stereotyping about people who are pro-choice. And then everyone just divorces each other instead of communicating with nuance, instead of having real conversations, instead of asking curious questions that explore, so why do you think that way? Or can you tell me what pro-life or what pro-choice means to you? Um, and then you understand in a more nuanced and accurate way what that person's beliefs really are. 
Um, and most people just don't do that because they feel emotionally invested in a topic and they feel like they know something about another person when they've actually never investigated the specific person. And even the terms pro-life and pro-choice have a vast differences within people who hold both of those ideals. And so you know, one person, two people, for example, could hold the exact same opinion about abortion restrictions and one would describe themselves as pro-life and the other describes themselves as pro-choice depending on where they live and the upbringing that they've had. I've experienced this actually in Braver Angels workshops, uh, Common Ground on Abortions. Interesting. Um, gosh, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, what are some of the techniques that you talk about with uh, – your group on how to communicate or get through these hurdles. Like someone is so staunch on being one way or the other way. How do we disarm them with a smile and a conversation? We have grad rules in place for all of our conversations and our discussions. I'm sorry, what kind of rules? Ground rules. Ground rules. Okay. <laughs> so we say that everyone represents themselves as individuals, no one's representing a particular party or political movement or anything else unless that they say specifically they are. Um, no crosstalk. You have time to fully and freely state your views without fear. So you have to listen all throughout and then formulate your answer. Yes. That, that's a good technique for anyone <laughs> talking about politics or anything. And we seek first to understand so you listen with an ear toward better, more accurate understanding of a person's perspective, not trying to change another person's mind and not listening to respond, not listening right. to remember what you're going to say next. So because then you're not actually listening to that person, you're not really hearing what they have to say and you're not actually responding to what they've said. You're responding to what you think about what they've said. Mm hmm. And so when we create space with those ground rules and we teach people what, a, what it means to ask a curious question, you know, what experiences in your life made you think this way or what experiences in your life influence the way that you think about this issue is a better question, actually. Yeah, very. Um, how do you think about this topic? Why do you believe in X policy? Uh, getting at those underlying whys is incredibly important, and we don't do that nearly enough. Okay, let me try this with you. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to be empathetic, listen, and try to understand your value. Um, is it a fear of change why someone becomes conservative? So that would be an example of a not very curious question because you have built in an assumption and the assumption uh, that you've built in is that I'm afraid of change. You asked me a question that assumed and that assumed a value or that assumed an intent. You, you asked me essentially, when did you stop beating your husband? Okay. So <laughs> a better help, example help of a question this. here would be, 
So what is it that motivates someone to be a conservative or better because you're asking me, not asking me to represent a movement mm. or a party? You would ask, what is it that drives you to be a conservative? Okay, let me try it again. Uh, let me see if I can formulate it a third way. Um, what sparked your love for your uh, conservative viewpoints? That's actually pretty good. Okay, uh, I'm trying. It, it still I'm assumes. Here to grow. <laughs> it still assumes an emotion. Uh, like you love being yes. conservative, as opposed to you're conservative for what reason? Exactly. Gotcha. So you want to you want to make sure that you're asking open ended questions instead of priming someone with a particular response or a particular value. Why are you conservative? I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm conservative because I value small government and individual liberty, and I appreciate the freedom and the freedom of opportunity. Okay. What would be the opposite question? Like, why would you have disdain for someone who is liberal? Now you're assuming that I have disdain. Yes. Jeez, this is a learning moment for us here on the Bystander Podcast and out there in Podcastville. And uh, now you understand why I experience as a conservative Bainbridge to be a place that is very hostile to Republican ideas. You are not the only person that asks questions like this. Mm -hmm. Everyone does. And everyone thinks they're being as respectful and kind as you are trying to be. Okay, I was just shooting in the dark. I, I don't know what I'm doing here whatsoever. I'm I'm very curious though to uh make communication my my strength and be understanding, be empathetic and have discussions that are difficult to have and um that's a big reason why I do this podcast. So I cherish and appreciate this type of feedback. Um where do you do the majority of your work? I work all over the country. Our organization is primarily volunteer-driven, and we have alliances in 47 out of 50 states and over 100 volunteer groups. What we uh, Our alliances are volunteer groups spread across the country, across those 47 states. So it's basically a nonprofit with different alliance groups. All over the United States, but headquarters in New York, is that correct? Yes. So do you, as a nonprofit, or would you call it a charity? Yes, it is a 501c3. So do you pay a fee to be in charge of alliance out here? Or it's just no. completely volunteer and it's not completely volunteer we are primarily volunteer driven but i am a staff member i am one of around 40 staff members that we have and everyone else is a volunteer we work all over the country as i said yes we have a headquarters in new york but they're like six people that work out of that office. The rest of us are spread all over the place. I have a couple of coworkers here in the Seattle area. There are people in California and Texas and Nebraska and Kansas and New York. You don't have to name 47 states. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're everywhere. And so consequently, also as a part of my job, um, I run Braver Politics, which specifically organizes skills workshops and experiential workshops for elected officials, candidates, and their staff members. Um, I am 
all over the place on a regular basis. I'm actually flying to Ohio on Thursday. And what elected officials have you worked at with around here? I have actually just a few weeks ago, I was up in Snohomish County and I worked with two Snohomish County Council members, Nate Nearing, who is a Republican, and Jared Mead, who is a Democrat, to run a – to facilitate a meeting called the their Building Bridges Tour within Braver Angels Framework. It is called the Constituent Conversations Workshop to bring constituents within the community together to talk about a issue that is of importance to them, and they break up into small groups first and talk amongst themselves, introduce themselves to each other, identify themselves by political leaning. And we encourage them to find common ground on their values and concerns. These are things like community safety, things like their children's education or child care needing to be less expensive or better health care or whatever the issue may be, um, housing, then they talk about that amongst themselves and they have an opportunity to share their perspective out from each small group with the county council member or the elected official that's there. Um, We've also run a similar style of workshop um, at the congressional level in Minnesota with uh, Representative Dean Phillips. Um, We ran last year for the Washington State Association of Counties, one of our skills workshops called Managing Difficult Conversations with Constituents at the annual conference for the Association of Counties, which included county commissioners from all over the state, including right here in Kitsap. And I ran several debates last year, um, three of them, for Emily Randall and Jesse Young in the 26th Legislative District State Senate race, in the 47th Legislative District State Representative race between Claudia Kaufman and Bill Boyce, and in the 9th Congressional District between Representative Adam Smith and uh, Doug Bassler. Very cool. So tell me a little bit about how you got interested in politics and community. I don't want to... I, I hate it when I do this, but it's like a double header question. Um, how did you first find yourself interested in politics? And secondly, um, where did your communication skills come from? Did you take any type of uh, communication type courses like nonviolent communication or something like that? So I was born a nerd. I don't have a good explanation really for why I like politics and was attracted to it uh, other than you know, I've always enjoyed understanding why things work, how they work, what makes them work, who makes them work, and why does that person make it work that way? And how can I influence or can I influence the way that it works? And if so, what does it take to get that way? And all Is that of those- a satisfaction thing, making um, things work? or manipulating a situation so someone would understand your reasoning? Not so much making them work and doing things myself, but just that having that level of knowledge and understanding. Um, I'm a perfectionist, and mm. that's actually – I do photography on the side, and I ended up in photography kind of the same way. I was horseback riding and started taking pictures and – Mains and tails were blurry, and I wanted to know why. Mm. And that 
turns out the rule it's shutter speed and then i found someone who was willing to mentor me in photography and next thing i knew i was doing photography well enough that people wanted to pay me for it uh <laughs> this is just kind of the story of my life i want to learn about a thing and i don't just have hobbies i have obsessions so i end mm. up in a deep dive and politics has become one of those obsessions i can't tear myself away from by the time I was 17, I started working on a congressional campaign as an intern, and I discovered not only did I really like politics, I was really good at it, and I could get paid for it, which is a big deal when you are 17. Um, but because I also really loved it, and I was getting paid for it, and was good at it, uh, I have kept doing it. I love it. It's one of my favorite things to engage in and understand because it allows me to positively impact my community. It allows me to really understand how everything around me works. Um, people don't think of government as that impactful on their lives at the local level, but the reality is that local government is the most impactful form of government on your day-to-day -day life. Um, whether you can build a deck on your home is a function of city government or county government, depending on where you live. Uh, how much of your property you can use and how you can use it is a function of local government. And understanding how all of that works and why it works the way that it does and being able to impact it um, is, to me, a really important part of being an engaged American citizen and being a caring component in my community. And your communication skill, is that self-taught? Yeah, mostly self-taught. Uh, working in politics forces you to learn how to communicate effectively. And uh, working particularly in swing districts means that you need to learn how to communicate across divides in a variety of ways and different types of places, different types of attitudes. Um, especially Kitsap County is... I think really a microcosm of the country. I've now traveled all over the United States. By the end of this year, I will have been in 23 out of 50 states. And I have yet to meet a type of person or a political viewpoint or hear a political viewpoint that I have not seen represented previously within Washington state. And usually it's even been represented in Kitsap County. What do you think um, are the good and bad of the city of Bainbridge Island city council and um, city manager setup? We have a, a city manager as opposed to a mayor type we have a mayor, but it changes every six months, and uh, it's a l little different system. I don't know how to describe it. We have what's called a quote-unquote weak mayor system as opposed to a strong mayor system. So how do you feel being a transplant to Bainbridge Island, um, how Kobe, city of Bainbridge Island, works around here? So I'm a transplant to Bainbridge, but I'm not a Washington state transplant. I grew up in Kitsap County. Mm. Um I think that the way, the functional way that Kobe works is fine. Um, I don't actually have strong opinions on what form government should take as long as it is very responsive to its citizens and as long as the system appropriately 
has checks and balances to be responsive to citizens. Um, so I think th- that's in place here. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think that our city council is, our city council is up for election on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And actually we just turned several of them out in the last election because there were serious issues at play that were brought out in campaign material. And that's the way that elections are supposed to work. Mm -hmm. If people are really dissatisfied with their current city government, there are, I believe, more than enough effective ways to change that um, through campaigning, whether you run yourself or you recruit a better candidate or you find a better candidate and help them run. Um, I think it's clear just from recent past that Bainbridge City Council can change and can be changed through elections on a regular basis. And I think that is the essence of responsive government. I want to make it clear to Podcastville, too, that your organization is not a conservative Republican organization. It is an organization that welcomes all and you try to border the differences through positive communication. Yep. Um, And actually, we are a politically balanced organization at the staff and volunteer leadership level, which is to say that for everyone working as a conservative or what we call a red in the organization, there is someone equal to us who is working who is a blue or a left-leaning person in the organization. How do you feel about labels like that, red, blue, liberal, and whatnot? I am incredibly nonplussed about labels. Non-what? Nonplussed. What does that mean? (laughs) Uh, I really don't care. I have no strong emotions around labels or emotional ties to labels as long as they are not outwardly and obviously derogatory. uh, Labels are necessary for everything that we do in life. Anything effective, especially at the national level, but even uh, more locally than that, is going to require some sort of organization of a group of people who have some disagreements but also have loose things that are similar to each other and they will need to be somehow grouped into a category that allows them to be identified together and what label is applied to that i really don't care as long as it is understandable and not derogatory yeah i feel like we over label things or we jump to conclusions in labeling people that we really haven't sat down and had a conversation with. Oh, absolutely. And so do not read this as me saying that you should assume someone is uh, red or a blue or anything other than that. Uh, Just that I find labels, generally speaking, to be necessary and broadly helpful in specific organizational contexts rather than a challenge. Uh, I may be strange in this way. I have friends who really, really struggle with labels and chafe at them. Um, People should be asked on an individual basis, and you should only ever um, ask people individually what they think and why. What? But when you're looking, when you're talking about groups, when you're looking at groups, yeah, you're using a label. As long as that label is, again, clear and not derogatory instead of red and blue why didn't we go with donkey and elephant 
I mean, that's the logos basically for the parties, right? So the reason for that is because red and blue encompasses for us more right and left leaning than it does a party affiliation. There are plenty of people who are not affiliated with any specific party who nonetheless have a political leaning, whether right, left, or more in the center. Um, there are people who would say, for example, that they may be you know, 50 plus one uh, lean to the right or 50 plus one lean to the left, but they wouldn't call themselves a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or a Green Party or whatever the case may be um, as a as someone who does have a party label. I recognize that other people often don't and our organization recognizes that many people in the United States prefer not to identify with a party label. And so we're just asking for the most simple organization possible. Do mm -hmm. you lean to the right or do you lean to the left most of the time? Yeah, being independent is kind of tough too because I don't really believe in the – here I go, giving my opinion, trying to be the bystander, the fly on the wall with no no opinion. Um, but my opinion is there is a two-party system, and I think there should be multiple parties. But financially, it only benefits you to claim yourself red or blue and not a centrist or a green party or a socialist party or a tea party or progressive party or – Party city. <laughs> so I have a theory about this, and I'm not sure if we have time to get into it. Jump. Uh, <laughs> the We don't actually have a two-party system. There are actually a whole bunch of parties in the United States. There's a libertarian party that most people are familiar with, and then there are also things like the Green Party, the Socialist Workers Party. Yeah, but they're not on the ballot when it comes down to voting time for your president. They're not on the general election ballot because we have a top two system, a top two primary in Washington that says only the top two vote getters, regardless of party, will advance to the general election. They are on your ballot sometimes if you are in Seattle because often the top two vote getters are not a Republican and a Democrat. They are two different forms of left of center. And sometimes one of them isn't even technically self-identifying as a Democrat. They're identifying as some other left of center party. And so that is a thing that you should be aware of and that happens. Um, my theory about why we primarily see the top two rising as Republican and Democrat on a national and state level basis is that the Republican and Democratic parties are each incredibly diverse. People don't think of them in this way, but the difference between, for example, a Democrat in Ohio and a Democrat in Washington state is absolutely enormous. The same way a Republican in Washington state and a Republican in Ohio are vastly different. Uh, and, so you don't really have any space at the national level for a third party to pop up or at the state level for a third party to pop up because it would have to represent something different than the broad base of the two major parties. And there just aren't enough people that fall outside the broad identification of those two major parties to form an effective uh, organizational body and fundraising body in a third party at any at, at a national or state level. Okay, um, I'm sorry, I don't have 
more time to give you today, and I would hope that you come back and further this discussion with me. Um, hopefully, maybe October and November when election time runs its gamut again. Um, in the meantime, tell Podcastville where they can find you and any events that you may have coming up in the near future. You can check out my work at braverangels.org or braverpolitics.org if you are an elected official candidate or a staff member of either of those. And you can find me on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. My local alliance, which is known as the Western Washington Braver Angels Alliance, is having several different events. Um, March 21st, we are collaborating with a Portland organization called Cure Violence Global to put on a skills workshop combating political polarization and the normalization of violence. And we are on March 26th. We're holding a skills workshop called Depolarizing Within, which will go over a little bit of what we talked about toward the beginning of this podcast, how to ask a curious question and what is a curious question. And then on March 28th, we'll be having a community debate about policing and police reform in Washington state. We would love to see you at any or all of those events. Um, they are Those are all virtual events, but we do have in-person events occasionally also. Awesome. Elizabeth Dahl, Braver Angels. Thank you for coming into the Bystander Podcast today. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Bystander. Please support us on patreon.com forward slash The Bystander Podcast. And have a good day. Be kind.